We turn in God's word this morning to the letter of Paul to the Corinthians, the first letter, the 14th chapter, page 932 in your pew Bibles. And while you're looking for it, let me say that someone urged me to give a little push from the pulpit this morning to fill those tables that are right straight out these doors and against the back wall with contributions for Thanksgiving. Remember that need as well and how we have opportunities to help others through those gifts. Now we turn in God's word to 1 Corinthians 14, beginning our reading at verse 18. While you can't quite tell the way it begins, the subject this morning is worship. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. In the law it is written, with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, but even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues, then, are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn, or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Worship. It's what we've been doing since we came into this room this morning, and doing enthusiastically. But it's something each of us does a little bit differently, And it's something some people would like to do a lot differently. Something we can't live without. And often in the church, it seems like it's something we find it difficult to live with. Worship. Several decades ago now, Ann Landers printed a letter in her column from a disgruntled Protestant worshiper 
who was complaining that worship was just far too frivolous and silly and shallow. And Anne printed the letter and asked her readers what their response was. I'm going to quote from several of those letters now some of the sample reactions that I want to say emphatically at the outset, these are not my sentiments. First letter, I agree. Protestant worship services are mostly selling tickets to ball games, tapes, pictures, records, and signing petitions on political issues. There's very little spirituality and the music is a disgrace. No hymns anymore, just modern junk. This was 30 years ago, folks. <laughs> Second letter. The day you printed that letter, the entire congregation sang happy birthday to me. I love it. Anyone who doesn't like that sort of thing can stay home, <clears throat> read the Bible, and go to God direct. Third letter. Hooray for that letter. Further proof that people no longer respect a place of worship is the way they dress when they come to Mass. Jeans, sandals, sweatsuits, halters, and shorts, and even barefooted, it's an affront to the Lord. Next letter. Here in the East, it's showbiz time in the Lutheran Church. We are asked to pass the peace. People from all sides grab your hand, mutter, peace be with you, and the scene resembles fruit basket upset. Applause is common. Our minister parades newly baptized babies down the aisle. Everything is so laid back, you might as well be in an amusement park. And finally, I was glad to hear a Protestant complain. As a Catholic, I'm disgusted also. A friend in an Ohio parish told me they had a special mass for the seven astronauts who perished on the shuttle. Seven people dressed up like astronauts and did an interpretive dance during mass. My parents would be horrified. Worship. What are we going to do with it? Well, let's go back to the way it used to be, some people would say. And others would say, let's change it even more. I believe that the issue, however it is framed, in whatever words you raise the topic, is largely problematic because we too seldom think and often forget about why we worship. Paul writes, even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds such as the flute or harp, how will anyone know what, the tune, what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Unless there's some order. But how does that help solve the problem? Isn't the problem precisely that if it were up to us, each of us would probably write the music differently? Perhaps, but the solution, I am persuaded, is to be found in all of us asking the question, why do we do it? Paul says at the end of this chapter, everything <clears throat> should be done in fitting and orderly way. 
Some of you may know that the Christian Reformed Church has a book of rules called the Church Order. Article 1 quotes that text and declares that the church order was written, quote, desiring to honor the apostolic injunctions that in the churches all things are to be done decently and in order. Well, just for a couple of minutes this morning, let's go back to Corinth and see if we can discern some of the melody of decency and order. I frankly think most of us, even most of us who were here this morning, would be surprised and maybe a little concerned and maybe even upset and possibly even displeased with worship like they did in Corinth. It makes passing the peace or raising your hand or clapping in church downright tame by comparison. Listen to verses 26 and following from the message. So here's what I want you to do. When you gather for worship, each one of you be prepared with something that will be useful for all. Sing a hymn, teach a lesson, tell a story, lead a prayer, provide an insight. If prayers are offered in tongues, two or three is the limit. And then only if someone is present who can interpret what you're saying. Otherwise, keep it between God and yourself. And no more than two or three speakers at a meeting. With the rest of you listening and taking it to heart, take your turn, no one person taking over. Then each speaker gets a chance to say something special from God, and you all learn from each other. If you choose to speak, you're also responsible for how and when you speak. When we worship the right way, God doesn't stir us up into confusion. He brings us into harmony. This goes for all the churches, no exceptions. Now think about it. Almost everybody up here on the platform at some point or other in the worship service. Not one, but two or three previously unscheduled preachers deliver messages. No bulletins, no order of worship, no professionally trained ministry, no accepted collection of music, no pre-selected participants. That's how they did it in Corinth. William Barclay wrote, it may well be that we set far too much store on dignity and order nowadays and have become the slaves of orders of service. The really notable thing about an early church service must have been that almost everyone came feeling that he had both the privilege and the obligation of contributing something to it. Certainly it is all too true that many church members think far more of what the church can do for them than of what they can do for the church and are very ready to criticize what is done but very unready to take any share in doing the church's work themselves. Apparently, decently and in good order meant something a little different, at least to Paul, than it does to us. So what were the principles behind Corinthian practice? What Paul says may surprise us, because he was not suggesting just some 
variety and stability and predictability and understanding, but two other things we often don't emphasize. The first of those is involvement. When you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. You can all prophesy in turn. And in considering involvement, Paul is encouraging maximum attendance and maximum participation by all the members. Paul's introductory word is when, not if. When you come, not if you come. When you come, but the next word is together. It isn't just hundreds of people like this in a room doing the same thing individually at the same time, but hundreds of people in a room like this doing the same thing at the same time together. There is a, a dual responsibility here. The responsibility I have as a member, you have as a member, to be here but the added responsibility for you and me to be here for the sake of the rest. Robert Weber, in a book called Worship is a Verb, wrote, Worship is not something done to us or for us, but by us. And it's also crucially important to hear what Paul says after the word together. When you come together, each one has. Now, I am persuaded that we don't have to exactly reproduce the Corinthian practice. But we have to abide by the Corinthian principle. Everybody was involved in worship because everybody in Corinth realized what we're beginning to forget in the U.S., Worship is not a spectator sport. It is not a performance done three steps up or more while hundreds of people watch. The first principle is involvement, which means maximum attendance and maximum participation. Now listen to just a few little tidbits from some verses you heard this morning. So the church may be edified. Since you're eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. All must be done for the strengthening of the church so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The question is not, what do I like? It's not, what would I prefer? It's not what am I used to. It's not what would meet my needs. It's not even what would be good for me. But what would be good for all of us. The question that must constantly be asked in and about worship in every worshiper's mind is what is the best for the most? What would build up the most? What would encourage and inspire the most? Do you ask that question when you think about whether to go to church or not? 
That's the second principle, edification. Sometimes we call ourselves Calvinists. And it'll come as no surprise to you, if you are one, to know that Calvinists are not thought to be people who change quickly. In fact, Calvinists are often known as people who refuse to change at all. But the man from whom we took our name wrote once, and I'm quoting him now, it will be fitting, as the advantage of the church will require, to change and abrogate practices and establish new ones. Indeed, I admit that we ought not to change into innovation rashly, suddenly, for insufficient cost. But love will best judge what may hurt or edify, and if we let love be our guide, all will be safe. The practice may have changed from Corinth to today, and it may change in some tomorrow from what it is now. But the principles remain, involvement and edification. But I think we ought to ask ourselves also, what is it God expects to have happen to us or wants to have happen to us when we engage in worship? Another way to put the question is, what's the goal? And to use Paul's own words, I suggest it's that we all fall down. Now let me explain that. You heard verses 24 and 25 from the NIV a little earlier. Now listen to the message. If you come together as a congregation and some unbelieving outsiders walk in on you as you're all praying in tongues, unintelligible to each other and to them, won't they assume you've taken leave of your senses and get out of there as fast as they can? But... If some unbelieving outsiders walk in on a service where people are speaking out God's truth, the plain words will bring them up against the truth and probe their hearts. Before you know it, they're going to be on their faces before God, realizing that God is among you. That's why I called this message, Does God Belong to This Church? Not does this church own God, but is God here? Is God a member of this congregation? To all fall down and admit that in faith is the goal. Not just for unbelievers who are becoming believers through worship, but for believers who are becoming better believers through worship. And you notice it's not just a stirring sermon that is supposed to accomplish all that. But the way we worshipers come and sing, and listen, and pray, and treat each other. So when it comes to worship, I think we need to ask four simple, brief questions. Does our worship, not just the preaching, our worship, our coming, our singing, our praying, our reading, our listening, our speaking, our giving, convince us and others that we really are in the presence of God.
Isn't that at least the initial reason Paul was talking about folks falling down in Corinth? Alcibiades was an Athenian who knew Socrates, and he really liked him. But he had such admiration for Socrates that every once in a while when he was with him, he would say, Socrates, I hate you, because when I'm with you, I see who I am. Do you see who you are in worship? And do you see who God is? Does our worship convince us that we are imperfect people in the presence of the perfect God? And then does our worship convict us that we are seated or standing before that perfect God and are under his judgment? Do we finally see here, if nowhere else, that we simply cannot live thoughtlessly and carelessly and care only about what's going on today and give no thought to tomorrow? Do you ever feel in this room or wherever it is you worship regularly like Isaiah? Oh, woe to me. I am ruined, for I'm a man or a woman of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. When we worship, are we convinced that God is with us and that we are with him as sinful people? And there, Paul proclaims, when worship is what it ought to be, the secrets of the heart are laid bare. I don't know about you, but I can't think of anything more scary than that. I cannot meet with the living, almighty, holy God and hear from his living word and profess to pray to him and offer my praise in song and word and not have the veil of self-righteousness that I quickly throw over myself as I enter the doors lifted and all the secrets of my heart laid bare, not before you, but before him. There's a song, a hymn, entitled, God is Here. And in it is this stanza, here are symbols to remind us of our lifelong need of grace. Here our table, font, and pulpit. Here the word has central place. Here in honesty of preaching, here in silence as in speech, here in newness and renewal, God the Spirit comes to each. Can we sing that and not be convulsed by our need for forgiveness and our awareness of a grace that is so great that with all the secrets of my heart laid bare, I am still accepted, still forgiven, still loved. And then when you're convinced that God himself is with us and convicted 
that we stand under his righteous, just judgment and convulsed by the realization that with all the secrets of my heart laid bare, I am still forgiven and accepted. Then what? Sing the doxology. Go get a cup of coffee. Visit with a couple of friends. Go home. Have lunch. Take a nap. Watch football. And forget all about it. Or... Does our worship bring you and all of us to our knees before this great and holy God? Does it draw you irresistibly toward him rather than drive you away from him? Does the awareness of our guilt pull you towards the abundance of his grace? In the early 19th century, there was a very pious, devout congregational pastor by the name of Horace Bushnell. And he was entertaining a guest one time at his home, and he said to the guest, let's go out and just take a walk tonight and talk about God. And it was dark already, and there were no street lamps or anything like that. It was pitch dark. And they walked, and Bushnell said to his friend, why don't we just kneel right here on the path and pray? And later the friend said, I, I almost didn't dare put out my hand for fear I would touch God. When you're almost afraid, but not too afraid, to reach out your hand figuratively and touch God, then you have really worshipped. Then the God who meets you in worship converts you and makes you new. And there, on our faces, all fallen down, We'll sing the other stanza of that hymn I just quoted. Lord of all, of church and kingdom, in an age of change and doubt, keep us faithful to the gospel. Help us work your purpose out. Here in this day's celebration, all we have to give, receive. We who cannot live without you, we adore you. We believe. Please remember that the goal is always the same, to enable all who come here, rich and poor, men and women, seekers and finders, to fall on our faces before the Almighty and say, truly, God is in this place. Bill Tuninga wrote an article in the banner once, and in it he said, there's a side of me that says, anyone hung up on worship styles here below isn't ready for worship above. I'm sure God has room for stubborn, style-specific worshipers in heaven, but when we get there, how we worship will no longer be a problem because whom we worship will fully occupy our minds. Let's let him fully occupy them now. Let's pray. Oh God, we believe, help our unbelief. We come here in your name on your day to your place 
to worship. Help us to see you and to see ourselves and to recognize that unworthy as we are, we're wrapped in a grace that is greater than our unworthiness and that changes everything now and forever. And as your changed people, may we take you wherever we go and show the world who God is. In his name we pray. Amen.